Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I'm your host Ben Kreider and today I'm going over who I believe the Thunder should hold on to if there were to be an expansion draft today. And on top of this all guys, my good friends at DraftKings Sportsbook, they have a really special offer for you all. I'll get you guys that in the middle of this one so make sure to stick around for it. But going to the topic at hand the expansion draft and the expansion draft just the idea of adding more teams doesn't matter if you're talking NBA NFL NHL just any sports organization people have talked about it and it could make some sense to the NBA because you have places like Seattle Vancouver you can kind of go down the line maybe like St. Louis just some of those places they could use an NBA market there might be some fan interest there And that's a potential business venture they could go out for. And Adam Silver, in the last couple of years especially, he's kind of been picking up on this idea. I know in an interview with Rachel Nichols, he actually said that league expansion was inevitable. Was there a timeline? No, you don't want to kind of lock yourself in anything like that. But it would make sense for a couple new teams to get into the mix. So whether it's one team, two teams... Teams would be coming in, and we know it's not going to happen this season, probably not the next couple of ones, but it can always be on the horizon. And I think this is always kind of just a fun exercise to do too, even when we know there's not going to be one, because in expansion drafts, you can only hold on to eight players. The other remaining guys on your roster, they go into a draft pool where teams can select one. Whenever one guy from your team gets selected, they're done. Everyone else on your team is safe, but there's going to be some tight cuts there within the roster. So that's why I like it because it kind of gives you a pretty good uh, scale at kind of how everyone is valued on the Thunder roster. And it's going to be different from me uh, and compared to some of the other guys. I know Down a Dunk has done a pod on this in the last week or so. And maybe you guys have a different kind of gist on where you peck everybody onto this list if that's the case make sure to tell me on twitter at ben Kreider or at thunderstick pod but yeah i just feel like diving right into it and the only real history we have an expansion draft since 2000 came with the charlotte bobcats they had the charlotte hornets kind of got moved away they got their franchise back and they really did not get that good of a haul and this was a point where i don't think many people really cared all that much about this expansion draft because to my knowledge I don't even think this event was televised I was going through ESPN I was going through TV um, schedules for the day that it happened couldn't find anything at all but they did get a couple players in of impact not all that much in their roster I'm gonna try to get it right pre-jag Probnajak, Desmond Ferguson Richie Fromm I don't really recall any of those guys. They might have had college careers. I don't think they played in the NBA much after joining the Bobcats. And for their big returns, there wasn't much at all to go crazy about. I mean, they got Zaza Pachulia. They traded him immediately, though, to the Milwaukee Bucks for a second-round pick. They got Jason Capono, who, hey, he could shoot the ball a little bit, but is he going to change your franchise? No. Uh, (laughs) They did get one good player in Gerald Wallace, though, who... You know, he hung around there for like six, seven years. He was a good small forward for them. Took him from the Kings when, you know, they were actually looking to contend. Um, But yeah, never really worked with Charlotte. They're kind of still in the mode of getting to 
playoff uh, stances there. But they got LaMelo. They have James Booknight. Got some people to build off of now. But things are a little bit different. And under the scope of the NBA, like I said, there's probably going to be some new teams coming in. And there's a lot more talent to choose from if you're only allowed to protect eight guys on the roster. And one thing with this is if there's two teams that are added, does that mean two players can be selected from a team? That's kind of up for interpretation. I could not find anything on it. I could probably check the 2K fantasy draft, but that would not be reliable, as you guys know from the 2K ratings uh, pod I did earlier on in the week. But I'm just going to dive right into it, give you guys who I believe should be on the team, kind of the locks, the people who sneak in, and then everyone else who is left up for grabs. And starts out with Shea Gilgis-Alexander. We all know. I mean, this is the cornerstone. You ink him to a five-year maximum extension. He's not even done with his rookie-scale contract. So he has six years left with the Thunder. It's going to be a long time before we even have to worry about his future. And based on what he said in a couple of interviews lately, I think he wants to stay in Oklahoma City anyways. That's always going to be good. And then you have Lou Dort as well, who, just like SGA, I mean, he's on a rookie-scale contract. There should be an extension looming for him as well. And he's just a monster. I mean, SGA, he's looking at, what, 23 years old coming off of averages where he's going for like 23.7-odd points, four rebounds, and six assists. And then for Dort going for 14 points when he was known as just a defensive guy actually leading into last season. So they're growing at a rapid pace. You're going to want to keep them a long, long time if possible. We know with SGA, he's going to be the star. You just got to find that second puzzle piece in the backcourt with him. With Lou Dort, he's going to be a beast. You can put him in the starting unit. If you're contending, he might be one of those guys that can kind of glue in if you have a really dominant small forward as well. If not, He's going to be a guy you can have on the bench, and when it comes to playoff time, I mean, he can clamp down just about everybody, and you're looking at him, he's like 22, 23 years old. This man is extremely young, so is SGA. You got to keep that core together, and past that, you look at some of the new guys that the Thunder decided to bring in. Josh Giddy, that's going to be your first guy. Pick him six. Whenever you had Kuminga there, you had James Booknight there. A lot of people love those two. Went with Josh Giddy anyways. 6'8". He says he's 6'9". Dude is able to create off the dribble. He's pretty good at passing the basketball out when he's driving inside. One little caveat. I think this speed obviously is not at like a premium level right now. I don't know if that's going to improve, but... As you know, I mean, for 6'8 or 6'9, being able to pass the way he does is extremely special. And he's only 18 years old. Came fresh off of playing for the Adelaide 36ers. Same team as Terrence Ferguson, by the way. He was dropping like 12 points, 7 rebounds, 7 assists, something like that. He was just doing it all. And that's kind of what LaMelo was doing stat-wise before joining the Charlotte Hornets. And we know how that went down. Got himself some... uh, Things for the trophy case, and maybe Josh Giddy can repeat that. You got some really heavy competition with Kay Cunningham and Jalen Green, of course, but I don't even think it matters. You know, this is a pick, and it was a pick when Presti originally took him. It's going to take a couple years for everything to work out because he wasn't shooting above 30% from three. Whoever plays next to SGA needs to be able to shoot pretty proficiently from downtown, and he just does not do that right now. 
but you go for that home run swing because of the elite playmaking that he provides you, because of the passing he can show off, and hey, maybe he will be able to become a pretty steady shooter, and that's going to be a huge success story for him when a lot of guys did not really appreciate the pick when it went down in July. To a lesser extent, some people were not too happy about Trey Mann. I kind of liked that pick. I had him kind of hovering around like the Nashawn Bones Highland category on my board. I kind of saw some comparisons between the two. Had him ranked like 20 to 25, somewhere there. Um, But, you know, I think at 18, this was still a very, very solid pick for the Oklahoma City Thunder. Going to get a guy at 6'5", potentially even 6'6", who plays pretty damn similar to Shea Gilgis-Alexander. This is a 40% three-point shooter with the Gators who loves penetrating to the basket. He's got a quicker first step than SGA does, actually, and if he's able to get his floater down pat at the next level, it's going to be very scary, and you're going to see pretty much 48 minutes of SGA, whether it's through SGA himself or whether it's Trey Mann kind of carrying that load for a little bit because he can do that. If he reaches his full potential, the big deal though, yeah, he can drive in. He has a really nice push shot, really good floater, but the step back three didn't see it a lot in Vegas. Did not even make a three in Vegas, I believe, but if he gets the three ball going like he did in Florida, it's going to cause some issues. And just like Josh Giddy, he's also pretty young. I think he's only 20 years old, uh, finished a sophomore year with Florida, but yeah, this is someone else you can kind of build with. There were a lot of people on the board at 18. They wanted to go with Trey Mann. That should say something, and that should probably tell you that he's going to be playing minutes probably this year, definitely in the future. They wanted to hold on to Trey Mann. And when you look at this current set of four, these guys are pretty much all guards. You can try to make a plea that Dort or Josh Kitty could play at the three. I think if there were to be a starting lineup, you probably would run SGA, Dort, and Giddy there. Doesn't really matter if it's Dort or Giddy at small forward. Giddy has the height advantage, but I'd say Dort much better defending all five positions. Definitely at the small forward position as well, though. So it doesn't really matter. Kind of interchangeable between the two and the three. That'd probably be that, and you'd have Trey Mann on, you know, one of those two guard spots off of the bench, but that's still pretty damn solid. Kind of want to look at the front court, though, once you get past guys like that, and that's where the first not really big surprise is. It's not a surprise at all, actually. It's Alexei Pokashevsky, and they needed to bring him back. I think I read somewhere from Nick Crane that Poku's like the 15th youngest guy in the NBA still, which is wacky considering he just finished a year of NBA play and you got guys even in next year's draft class who are just three, four months younger than him. It doesn't make sense. He barely made the draft window by like a week or two. His birthday is like the back end of December. I think the deal was you had to be 19 by the end of the draft's calendar year. So just grazed it and got selected at pick 17 by the Oklahoma City Thunder. And we know the story with Poku. It was just filled with ups and downs. The beginning of his rookie season was, I'm not going to say a disaster. I wouldn't say it personally, but, you know, depending on who you ask, that was a disaster. He could not make his threes. There were a lot of just sloppy passes, 
and the Thunder were rebuilding. It was obvious. You trade Chris Paul, Danilo's out of there, Steven Adams got gutted out of that roster. It was fine when he was doing that, but a lot of people were critical of him. He went to the G League, really impressed there, came back, and then he was just an absolute monster. So his stats on the season don't really tell you the full story. I'm going to read them out anyways. Shooting 34% overall and 28% from distance on 4.6 tries a game. But when you look post All-Star break, he was shooting like 11 some odd points a game or scoring 11 points a game. And then the three-point clip was in the mid-30s. Some of those streaks he had there though, he could not miss from downtown. Had like a 7-for-7 or 8-for-8 three-point game kind of mixed in there like March or April but yeah he was insane I mean his highlight reels were really just special I don't know even if SGA could compare to what he was doing uh and some of those kind of snippets there throwing like no look alley-oop passes flying out of bounds by the way uh to Moses Brown of course it was him this was the OKC blue so there was a lot of just street ball plays going on but he was doing that nailing those step back 30 foot jumpers or just slamming down dunks when he's like a step inside the elbow and I'd consider that like the same distance as the free throw line itself so he could fly in there was so much kind of heading his way especially at the end of the season so I just don't think the Thunder couldn't realistically get rid of him now if there was a package this past offseason that they could not have refused and Poku was the deciding factor maybe you'd sway one way but you're keeping him under wraps this dude's 19 years old seven feet tall playing at the perimeter and passing the ball around at will you want to keep a guy like that around and even if there's a lot of turnovers because that was one of his major issues it doesn't matter he's so young and another thing I heard I mean this dude's gonna have like eight seasons under his belt or something crazy like that for his like seventh or eighth pro year that does not make sense historically that's ridiculous seventh or eighth season you're like at 28 29 years old you're looking for a maximum extension this guy's gonna be getting his first real extension at that age which is just wild so way too young you gotta hold on to him that's the number five guy out of eight that would stick around on the thunder roster but before i get into players six seven and eight i want to tell you guys a little bit about DraftKings sportsbook and the deal that they have going on right now week one may be over but the season's just getting started at DraftKings sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the NFL. To kick off week two, DraftKings is giving new customers $200 in free bets instantly when they bet $1 on any football game. Listen up to this because you do not want to miss out. Here's what you need to do. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code TBPN to receive $200 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any football game. That's promo code TBPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. You must be 21 or older in New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, new customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required, one per customer. 
Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or if in Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Guys, we got through the first eight. There's three people left, and this is kind of where it gets a little bit more cutthroat. So just to give you a recap, we have SGA, we have Lou Dort, got the two first-round selections in Josh Giddy and Trey Mann. You had to go to the 2021st and Alexei Pokashevsky to round out that five. But now you go to six, seven, and eight. This is where it becomes a lot tighter, and this is where I think the opinions really start shining for some of these borderline guys. And I'm going to start things out with Darius Baisley here. And I know a lot of people probably are not going to be too happy about that one just because Darius Baisley was not all that impressive last season. And I understand it. I think Alexei Pokashevsky by the end of last season probably was outplaying him. And that's why I had Poku in that lock list at number five. I think Baisley is on the outside. But you got to keep in mind, Darius Baisley's 21 and, you know, he's going to be hitting a make or break season. You're not just going to let him go immediately because he is pretty young and there still is just a little bit of potential left. Whenever he concluded his rookie campaign, what were we thinking? We were thinking this guy was just going to launch up. He was going to be the number two guy next to SGA. He'd be handling the ball. He'd be shooting threes and it'd just be all sunshine and rainbows in Bricktown. But it wasn't like that. The big reason why people believe that was because his three-point shot looked legit. I mean, he was shooting mid-30s from downtown, catch and shoot, pulling up, didn't matter. Even when he did get the ball at the three-point line, if he saw that his defender was closing out or kind of tightening up, he'd get right around him, he'd throw it down inside, or he'd look to kick it out. So it was just a beautiful combination we saw from him. And to that point, it wasn't like he was in the spotlight all that much. Um, and it looked like he was just having that coming out party to where, you know, going into that sophomore season, he would be dominating and he didn't dominate. It was really just shaky. Uh, I guess that's the best word to describe it, but he didn't really ever have those streaks of two, three games where he was consistently dominating. You know, he'd have those games where he dropped 18 and 10 on pretty good shooting splits, but then the next game, he'd have like eight points and seven rebounds, and he shoots like three of 11 from the floor. So people were not too fond of that from him. When you look at his actual season stats, though, they don't look terrible because he did average 13.7 points, 7.2 rebounds, and 1.8 assists. But that efficiency that everyone kind of brings up, it's pretty poor for him. I mean, he shot 29% from distance, shooting 5.2 attempts a night. Overall, though, I mean, the TS percentage is at 49.1. On paper, that doesn't look all that bad. It's actually fourth worst in the NBA. So efficiency-wise, it was bad. The three-point shot's kind of where that got amplified, though. Really, when you want to take into account, he was shooting above five a game. And that's because people were sagging off on him. They wanted to test Darius Baisley's perimeter skills. And a lot of the times... The defense, they ended up winning those battles because he was kind of just not too confident, it seemed like. You know, he'd get the ball in the corner, he'd get it at the wing, then he'd hesitate a bit, and he just did not want to shoot it. I think with a little bit more confidence just pumped back into him, he's going to be able to excel from there. I think 35% from distance might be a pipe dream right now, 
but you want to cut that difference. 29% last year, 35% that benchmark. I'd say 32, 33%, you're golden. Lou Dort, for example, he wasn't shooting upper 30s from distance. He was shooting like 34%. And we think Lou Dort is a sharpshooter right now. So you don't have to be, you know, the lockdown can't miss three-point shooters. You just have to be solid enough to the point where your defender isn't going to be sagging off on you five to eight feet and not even looking to close out. You know, if they're just waiting for the drive on you and you kind of are just defenseless because you cannot shoot the ball and you're not confident in it, that's a recipe for disaster. But if you kind of shorten that gap to where they're looking to close out or they're not giving five to eight you know, feet of room all the time, then you can drive in and then we can start seeing the playmaking ability because... He is pretty solid at making those dump-off passes when he drives inside. If there is some help coming from the corner, coming for the wing, he kind of addressed that well. Uh, We didn't get to see it a lot, though, like I said, because oftentimes we'd see Bays just drive in on somebody when he had a wide-open shot right in front of him. And then to top it off, you know, a, a lot of those centers on the Thunder's roster could not shoot and they had to just gravitate towards the free throw line or they were just right around the restricted area like Moses Brown doesn't matter this dude could be standing at the half court line he could be at the three unless he's setting the screen why on earth would the big guy on the other team not just be tap dancing around the painted area because it's not like he needs to defend that guy you know same goes with Tony Bradley too he tried taking a couple threes and I think the first one he shanked the side of the backboard or it wasn't the side, but he, he definitely shanked the backboard. No rim on that at all. Uh, so that was your unit post-All-Star break. Horford and Muscala, a bit different, but you didn't see it a lot um, after he did kind of endure those injuries. So it might be different based on how Mark Dagnall wants to construct this rotation. It's going to be a big year for him, though, and I don't think you're just going to give up on somebody whenever you're looking to have these project pieces they're not necessarily trying to win games right now and that's obviously the common goal you know the coaches aren't going to be pissed the players aren't going to be pissed they're going to be happy when they snag w's and with sga at the helm they can on any given night but you know if there are going to be those bumpy 3 of 11 3 of 12 games that's going to be fine and it's going to be fine whether it's Poku, whether it's Baisley, even if it's SGA having a tough night, I don't think you can go really hard on them right now because they're not contending and they're just looking to tap out every last bit of potential from everybody and that's why Darius Baisley's sticking around. You're going to give him another season and then hey, if there was a hypothetical expansion draft again, didn't perform well, then he might be on the hot seat. But after Bayes, you're looking at bolstering that front court yet again. And this is one where people might be upset. I think it's going to be, you know, a lot worse once you get to that eighth one. But I'd actually put Jeremiah Robinson Earl here. And I think Jeremiah Robinson Earl, if he was in an expansion draft, would he look more lucrative than some of the other guys that might be off this list or might be in the draft pool? You know what? Maybe not. He might not be the spiciest around and he might be a late pickup but you know if I am an expansion team I'll go after some vets but I'm gonna be building for the future kind of mimicking what the Thunder have been doing maybe the Rockets to a lesser extent they kind of just lucked into that almost but yeah I'd be looking to harvest some young talent and Jeremiah Robinson Earl that would be a solid piece to snag because 
Is his ceiling all that high of like a star or starting caliber? I haven't graded him that way. I think a lot of people see him as a pretty solid bench guy for the majority of his career. And that's going to be his floor too. He's not going to be someone who's just out of the league in three or four seasons. He'll probably be going on contract to contract. Might be a journeyman, might not be. He'll have a steady role in the NBA. And he showed that in the Vegas Summer League because he wasn't just this mediocre guy. He was kind of headlining the Thunder's roster for the most part. He led the team in scoring with 12 points had 7.4 rebounds a game, and averaged 1.8 assists while he was working from the 3 to the 5. Most of the time, he was at the small ball center, taking on guys that are, you know, 5 inches taller than him, you know? Like, he's only 6'8". He's kind of like Isaiah Roby, where you're just working off that wingspan to close the distance, but he's still a pretty solid interior defender, actually works out to the perimeter as well. We saw against Cade Cunningham when he tried driving right on him. He got clamped up. He could not turn the corner on him. And I think at the next level against other bench guards, he'll probably be able to be suitable in some areas. I think Isaiah Roby's kind of the guy you'd compare Jeremiah Robinson Earl to. And, you know, Isaiah Roby, he's a couple years older than Jeremiah Robinson Earl. JRE is only 20. So, This is a person who could be an integral part of your bench for the next five, six years. And when you're looking at a championship window that is not in the now, you want to have those guys who you think are going to stick around for a while and are going to make a positive contribution. You don't always need to be shooting for the stars. You just need to make some solid picks here. I think Jeremiah Robinson Earl can do that for you. He's able to shoot a little bit from three. You know, pick and pop was strong. Even rolling to the rim was nice. Playmaking has some skill set there. And hell, I mean, there's obviously a reason why Presti consolidated picks 34 and 36 to move up to get him. Because I think the Magic were about to snipe him away. But yeah, they overpaid a bit. You're not going to overpay and just let him go to another team. And then you kind of combine that with the fact that Presti's doing this and Presti is looking to be replenishing and restoring this roster a bit. Yeah, I don't see him going anywhere. So I'll put Jeremiah Robinson Earl at number seven and then it gets tight. And I would say in terms of skill on this list, I'd probably put Jeremiah Robinson Earl eighth. However, you gotta look at who's remaining and kind of this tight battle that we have going on. So you got Teo, of course. There's Ty Jerome as well, though. And then you start looking at guys like Kenny Hustle. You start looking at guys like a Derek Favors. Whatever. You know, you keep just running down that list. But let's just keep it frank here. Two guys who would be fighting for this final spot are going to be Teo Maladone. And it's going to be Ty Jerome. And I've talked to a lot of different people. I've listened to a lot of different sources on their opinions on both of these guys and the common consensus that I always get back is that Ty Jerome is the better player right now that might not be wrong um but you know Ty Jerome's 24 Teo is 20 years old do you see Teo being better than Ty in four years if the answer is no you go with Ty Jerome right here but if the answer is yes I think it should hands down be Teo Maladone, and that's why I am picking the Frenchman to fill out the final protected spot on the team. 
Mateo led the Thunder in minutes last year, played 1,778 minutes. And while he was out there, he's pretty damn solid. He averaged 27.4 minutes a night, placing 10.1 points, 3.2 rebounds, and 3.5 assists. He was kind of just doing it all. And just like Darius Baisley, whenever you want to dissect his play and dissect his efficiency, it was not good. Baisley was the fourth worst in TS last season. Teo was the second worst. I will say, though, I actually thought, you know, Teo did pretty well in terms of shooting the ball. And all I really care about is what he was doing from three. I don't care if he was missing every mid-range, if his floaters were just not, you know, soft enough. He was shooting 33.5% from distance, and he was taking 4.8 attempts a game. That's perfectly fine with me. You just have to have a suitable off-ball shooter who can play off the catch with SGA in a rotation, and Teo Maladon can do that. But the best part about it, you know, he can actually rally the troops on his own. He was averaging 3.5 assists, and due to SGA not being in the rotation due to that plantar fascia injury, he was leading the group a lot to end the year out, and I don't think he did that bad in those reps. I look at him as a passer first. That's the skill that I saw from him when I initially scouted him out of France, and that's kind of the same thing that I see with him now. I mean, he was an absolute magician. You'd see jump passes from him, maybe throwing it out to the corner with like absolutely no room, no margin of error at all. He'd be dicing it in. He was great there, and he looked insane in last year's preseason working with Isaiah Roby. Even during the regular season, there were a lot of times where he made some pretty good reads in the pick and roll. That three-point shot was the surprise, though, and yeah, it was a sweet one. I mean, when he started out in January, he was leading the team in catch-and-shoot percentage. It was above George Hill, and George Hill's, I think his benchmark's like 47% when he was with the Thunder because he got hurt after like 15, maybe 20 games. Teo was above that after his Brooklyn Nets performance, and then it kind of slowly just digressed. It wasn't as solid, and I think it's because he didn't have as many chances because SGA was not the guy out there. It was not the aficionado just dumping it out to you when you're wide open. Did not have that sort of comfort zone anymore. I do think it took a hit on him, but even with that, 33% from distance is really, really good, and a lot of it did come off the catch and shoots. By the end of the year, though, he was working on a step back, and it wasn't one that created space. It's not one that I'd be hyping up or anything, but the fact he was trying it and the fact that he actually had some success with it in some stints is major with me. And one of the things on the offensive end, besides the passing, Actually, it had been his soft touch when it came to floaters uh, before he came to the NBA. And he still looks pretty fluid when he takes these runners or floaters, but they did not go in that much at all, which kind of is confusing to me. It looked like he knew what he was doing. He had a master class in floaters and runners. I think he'll probably get it figured out. His touch seems pretty good on it. Um, but yeah, it's just one of those head scratchers where 
you're wondering, like, how are these not going in for him? Because he actually did get a decent bit of space most of the time he wanted to do those moves. But it is what it is. And he has pro moves like that to get those floaters. Big one off a high ball screen. He's going to get around his defender and kind of back him down with his butt, create a little bit of room, and then he can drive in with, you know knowing no one's going to block him. If it is, it's going to be a very solid block because it's a chase down block with a hand right there. So trying to go around that to get a clean block is pretty difficult. Um, But yeah, he's just a pretty good pro. And you got to keep in mind, I mean, he just turned 20 years old. So that's the reason I'd want to hold on to him. That's going to conclude who actually remains on the team. So I'll say it again. You got SGA, you have Lou Dort. Josh Giddy, Trey Mann, Alexei Pokashevsky, Darius Baisley, Jeremiah Robinson Earl, and Teo Maladone. So you don't really go for positions here. You just go for who you believe in the most. That's who I see um, as the top eight right now in terms of who you'd want to continue to build upon. But Ty Jerome is a guy who I think would probably get picked in an expansion pool. He is so refined as a point guard. It's crazy. We didn't get to see a lot of him last season because he did battle with that like ankle strain, had to start with the blue, and then kind of had to wait until his name got called. But as soon as it did, he was a beast. I mean, he averaged 10.7 points, 2.8 rebounds, and 3.6 assists while he was out there. And he shot 42.3% from downtown, taking 5.1 a game. Everyone loved him because he looked like Steph Curry out there sometimes, and he can hit 32 footers. If no one's in front of him, I'd probably say that's a 50-50 ball, and you might want to tack a couple of percentage points in his favor because he is unstoppable when he gets going from downtown, and I don't think Teo Maladone's like that. I don't think there's a lot of guys on this Thunder roster that are like that, and 24 years old, he's still pretty young. There's still going to be some more room for improvement in terms of his game, but I just had to go with Maladone due to that age, um, but yeah, he'd be a very good point guard for any other system. I think the Thunder, they're kind of, you know, stacked on guards. I've talked about it here before, like they have nine guards on the roster, and depending on if you want to count Paul Watson now, like you could bump it up to 10 if you want to be that guy. So someone's going to have to get axed. I think it'd have to be between Teo or Ty. Ty just gets a short end of the stick. He'd be able to generate the same type of production anywhere else though. It's not one of these like situational things with him. He's a shooter. Doesn't matter if he has the ball in his hands or if he's playing off the ball. He'll hit his wide open shots. As a passer though, he's pretty smart and the IQ is insane with him. He's not fast. He's not really athletic. So he has to be pretty meticulous about what he's doing. Um, But I'd say, you know, he makes some pretty difficult passes look so easy, which is, um, you know, pretty rare to see from a bench guy for uh, a team. So yeah, big thumbs up to Ty. I think he would get selected, but yeah, he's the number nine guy who's just barely outside. And once you get beyond Ty, I think then it's just like another uh, level of players. Of course, you have the two centers in Mike Muscala and Derek Favors. Derek Favors' contract gets him paid, I think, 20 mil over the next two seasons, already 30 years old. No point in getting him. So he wouldn't have gotten drafted anyways. Mike Muscala, no reason for one of those teams to pick him up. He would be a bench player, but you know, he's on like a 
minimum deal for I, I think it's like a seven mil for over the next two seasons no point um from what I see but yeah those two clear cuts nope Kenrich Williams he could get picked up by a team and that would be a really sneaky good acquisition if the Thunder were looking to contend I would have actually considered Williams heavily and getting one of these eight spots because he was probably the most significant player off the bench last year. Just on a night-to-night basis, he was consistent, and he made things count really on both ends of the floor. If one side wasn't working out, he'd always be two times as good on the other end. So he was perfect for Mark Dagnault. Doesn't stay on, though, because he is 26. And Gabrielle Deck is another 26-year-old. We really didn't even know he was going to be joining the team again until last week. Um, so I don't think it was like the Thunder were just begging to bring him back. Really good passer. Could turn into a pretty solid role player uh, in the NBA. But I don't think the timelines really match with the Thunder anyways. And I don't even know if the minutes are going to be there come tip-off time um, in October. But beyond them, you know, it's kind of just a handful of other players who might not be as decorated, might not have that same extent of a pro career, but there could be some potential with them. And Isaiah Roby's the first guy. I didn't mention him. I really do draw comparisons between him and JRE. I just think because Roby's 23 years old, you would not want to pick him up. He might actually be back on your team regardless though. So I don't really think it's that major of a deal. Um, Beyond that though, you start looking at some of the other youngins, and Vit Kredci is one of them. Brought him onto a full-scale four-year contract, non-guaranteed after year one. I really like him. I think the potential is pretty ridiculous for someone who got picked 37th overall. So if it was just me playing personal bias, I would make sure he didn't slip away. I don't think someone would take him, though. I mean, he's 21. You're really just looking to see him as a pretty proficient playmaker gotta see him passing it out a lot but I mean he showed the ability to dunk he's kind of athletic kind of a shooter yeah like if he had a completely healthy season with Zaragoza he probably would have been a first round draft pick this season so it was insane value he could be like Poku but you know just like Poku people are gonna doubt him until the regular season starts I don't think anyone would take uh, a chance on him anyways Uh, Past that, though, you start looking at the two-way guys. Aaron Wiggins, 22 years old. Really good acquisition in the late second for Sam Presti. Gonna be a solid 3 and D player who I think even if he were to join like an NBA team or if he was playing rotational minutes, he would be all right. I don't know what the ceiling is like for him. So you're not going to take him. Thunder aren't going to protect him. I I think he, you know, rejoins you. And then in regards to the other two-way guy, with 26-year-old Paul Watson Jr., I believe he's 26 now, I don't think he'd, you know, get taken. I mean, he's 26 for starters here. And then number two, he didn't even fetch an offer um, from any of the 30 NBA teams for a full-scale one, so he did have to go for a two-way. Looks like a really good shooter. Looks like a Thunder guy. Like, they always want to bring in these people who have a three ball but can also defend to some degree. Paul Watson should be able to do that and he will be able to do that because I don't think anyone would take him. So out of those guys that I think are left on the outside, Ty Jerome and Kenrich Williams would probably be the ones 
who might garner some attention. I think everyone else, though, would be relatively safe. So that's the roster that I sort of came up with. Not a lot of front court guys. You don't have a center, but you know, to my defense, it's not like the Thunder have any real young centers in the first place. You know, they got rid of Bradley. They got rid of Moses Brown. I'm just going here, positionless basketball, doubling down on what Mark Dagnall looks to be doing with the franchise. And I think I got a pretty good collection of players together. But like I said earlier, if you guys have, you know, a different opinion or you think someone like a Jerome or a Kenrich Williams should have been added, make sure to let me know. You guys can just hit me up on my Twitter page or you can go to the pod's Twitter page at ThunderstickPod. But other than that, though, guys, that is going to wrap up today's episode. Make sure to check out the next one. If you are an OKC Blue fan, going to have a lot of info there, so you don't want to miss it. But yeah, for this one, that is all I have for you all. So thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.